Hello and welcome to the Hall of Fame video game podcast starring Matt Levy and Mike Staub. We love video games and have embarked on a journey to index the greatest video games of all time into our very own Hall of Fame. Here's the show. Hello and welcome to the Hall of Fame video game podcast. I am your host, Matt Levy, and joining me with his long sword, he's got the twin shooters out. It's my man, Mike Stab. How are you, Mike? Hey, what's going on, man? It's feeling like 2001, so let's turn up the new metal in here and uh, fight some some sort of demons, I guess. Some I don't sort know. of demon. Mike, are there any more game? Are there any other game out there that is more metal than Devil May Cry? I would go ahead and say there might be games that are more metal. I don't think anything is more new metal. I don't think anything is like turn of the century, Power Man 5000, Corn, that type of stuff, Slipknot. Like, I feel like Devil May Cry is very much a product of its era and of its time. And it's funny because Devil May Cry is a series that's been around since 2001. Now, the lead character, Dante, was like the coolest thing ever in 2001. And like, by today's time, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, oh, you're kind of a dork. Like, it's weird how quickly that kind of style kind of, kind of yeah, went characters away. Characters like Lara Croft and Solid Snake have aged a little better from that same similar, not they were a little earlier than him, but still, you're right. Dante, we're talking about Devil May Cry from the PlayStation 2 released in 2001. And it is say, very much known as a hack and slash action adventure game made by Capcom. Mike. Made by Capcom in 2001. And the, I think the best thing that ex- explains where Devil May Cry was coming from was uh, you have to look at a picture of, there's a picture on the internet of the the developer, the main the main director behind Devil May Cry, who is a, a video game director by uh, and developer by the name of Hideki Kamiya, who worked at Capcom at the time. And there's a picture of him with his mom in Japan, which must have been taken in like the 80s or 90s because uh, he has hair. He no longer has hair. And in the picture, he has hair, but he's wearing like this really kind of stereotypical biker jacket with like these biker gloves and studded pants with a belt. And on the gloves, it's got the the Union Jack. So it's the uh, the British flag. And he's standing next to his mom, who's like this, just like normally dressed like mom. And it's a picture of them in the street in somewhere in Japan. And once you see that picture, you're like, I kind of get it now. I kind of get where this is coming from. Hideki Kami is a, is a great video game designer and developer and director. But he also is known for like banning, uh, blocking anyone on Twitter that tweets at him. And he's got a very interesting, interesting background because he is a, he's a member of a group of guys at Capcom that made very influential and important games at the time, right? So Kamiya starts with Capcom in the 90s. He works on Resident Evil. He works on Resident Evil 2, where he's a director. He eventually directs Devil May Cry. He directs Beautiful Joe for Clover Studio, which was a studio that was like a wholly owned subsidiary at Capcom. He works on Okami. And then him and 
Shinji Mikami, who is known for games like Resident Evil as a director. He's known for stuff like Devil May Cry as a producer. He worked on Onimusha. Onimusha, yeah. Onimusha, Resident Evil 2. Resident Evil 4 is his big game, right? It's his big game. But then he also did a game for Clover called God Hands. So this is Shinji Mikami. And then there is a third fellow by the name of Atsushi Inaba, who also worked for Clover and Capcom at the time. And he was known for working on Devil May Cry, Beautiful Joe, Phoenix Wright, Okami, God Hand. These guys all work together. These guys, these three, most notably these three. So that's Shinji Mikami, Atsushi Inaba, and Hideki Kamiya went on to found Platinum Games, which the Devil May Cry energy has followed them to Platinum. So Devil May Cry comes out in 2001, and that kind of action style has followed these, these, these producers and these developers to the founding of Platinum in 2007, after Clover was shut down. So they do that, and they make Bayonetta. They make a whole bunch of games that we're, we're, we're aware of and we're, we're fans of now. They do Mad World. They do Bayonetta. They do Vanquish. They do Metal Gear Rising, obviously Bayonetta 2 and eventually Bayonetta 3, Nier Automata. They've done a lot of these action games. And this all goes back to Devil May Cry, which at the time was incredibly unique, incredibly, incredibly original, and it sort of created the character action game as we know it today. No one else was really doing this in 2001. And Devil May Cry was really the first game to do it. Yeah. I think that's super important, Mike, is remember that this is really the first of this subgenre because there's been action adventure games. But this game, I mean, two words I associate, Mike, with this game is speed and style. Style. Speed and style are two things that separate this from... There were, th- there were hundreds of action-adventure games, but this one, like you said, started this whole other subgenre of games. What is it about the combat, the gameplay of Devil May Cry that makes it feel so unique? Well, first and foremost, we have to, we have to talk about another game that came out in 2001. Now, we've talked before on the show about how good of a year 2001 was. I believe Devil May Cry comes out in August of 2001. And it's a big hit for the time. I think it sells like 3 million copies, which is a big deal for 2001 games, especially since the PlayStation is still kind of in its first, like its second, no, not really. It's still kind of in its first year because the PlayStation came out the end of, I believe, October of 2000. So it's still kind of in its first year. And there's a game that comes out. The first holiday season for the PlayStation is, is rough. PlayStation 2. There's not a lot of games out for it. You could play Dynasty Warriors. You could play a couple Street of Fighter games. A couple that of sports were out. games. Yeah. Street Fighter EX Plus Alpha 3. But the the more expansive experiences for the PlayStation and good good the good thing for the PlayStation 2 is that anyone who bought it got a DVD player and they got a PlayStation 1 if they didn't have one. So that really kind of held people over until we got into 2001, where it kind of blows the doors open with Devil May Cry, Metal Gear Solid 2, Grand Theft Auto 3. Uh, I, the list goes on. Oh, Final Fantasy 10. The list goes, list goes on and on and on. But in January of 2001, a game called Onimusha Warlords comes out. Now, Onimusha is a 
it's pretty much Resident Evil, but instead of guns, you have swords. And instead of zombies, you're fighting evil spirits in like feudal Japan during the Sengoku period. And it's that game still has the tank controls of Resident Evil. And I love the Onimusha games. I've played the heck out of those games. Those games rule. It still very much feels like Resident Evil. And this game is directed by a director by the name of Jun, Jun Takauchi, who worked on who worked on Onimusha, but he's also worked on Resident Evil and Mega Man and Street Fighter and everything else. He's a Capcom guy. He still works for Capcom. The last game he worked on was Ghost and Goblins Resurrection. So while they were working on Onimusha, they actually found a bug in the game. And the bug in the game was that there was this bug that they had to get out. But the bug was that anytime, like there would be moments in the game where you would hit an enemy and the enemy would go flying into the air. Now, the character, the main character in Onimusha, Samanosuke, he doesn't have the mobility to jump or do anything like that. So it was a glitch and a bug that they needed to work out. But it gave Hideki Kamiya, who didn't work on Onimusha, but probably was in the room while they were working on it because these guys all worked together for years, right? That was the idea for Devil May Cry. The idea for Devil May Cry was like, okay, let's make an action game that if you're, let's make it so that the enemies can get thrown up in the air and then we can continue the combat into the air. And what Devil May Cry is all about as an action game as a character action game is about fighting characters, launching them into the air, using Dante's arsenal of weapons and move sets to kind of continuously juggle your characters and deal so much damage in such short periods of time that it gives you this style grade every time you're done with a combat. And the combat in this game is so vastly different than everything else that Capcom was doing. It's not human tank like Resident Evil or Onimusha, right? It's not a side-scrolling action game like you would see with something like Mega Man. It's not a shooter, even though there is some shooting in it. This game is about kind of chaining together your moves to a point to where you continue to deal damage before you get hit. And it, it's about the constant motion of fighting and getting from point A to point B. It's got giant boss fights. It's got everything you'd expect out of like an action game today. And very much so in 2001, this game felt like it almost owed, not only did it owe its DNA to stuff like Onimusha and Resident Evil, because this game was originally conceived as Resident Evil 4, but obviously they realized the style didn't really work for Resident Evil. But it also is very Castlevania in its approach and how you're the single character going through kind of like these haunted castles and things like that. And you're using very, very, you're chaining together action combat moves and there are hill items and there's all that stuff. And, but they added this concept where you would collect orbs to improve your character. So Devil May Cry did a lot of things that were very unique and novel and original at the time. And it's actually kind of become like a mainstay and it's not just with Japanese games. It's across the board. Yeah, Mike, I love that. And you really broke it down in ways that I hadn't thought of. You're right. When they were designing this originally, I think they were trying to come up with a concept for Resident Evil 4. Yep. And you can tell quickly that this didn't feel anything like it, but they still have the puzzle elements of it. They still have where you need to find certain items to progress in the game. That's really the only element that feels Resident Evil. But what I didn't 
put my finger on and you you so carefully said was it has a Castlevania feel to it, almost in the plot in, as well. Yeah. How you are this demon hunter who is looking to get revenge on all demons and this Lord uh, Mundus who killed your brother and mother. It's a very Castlevania story. And I absolutely love that. I never put the pieces together. But you're right. This game did spawn the sequels. And that reminds me, you, know, you said this game has Devil May Cry 2 and 3 that came out very quickly after. That reminds me of the game we talked about last week, Prince of Persia, that got two quick sequels out right away. And it's kind of funny how at that time, that's what these companies did. And Capcom had a hit here. Well, like you said, it sold 3 million copies. It had a good formula. It had a fresh formula. And 3 million copies, if you're calculating the dollars and cents, it said they made over $40 million. So we don't always talk about the dollars it made, but this game was a tremendous success. And you're right. It's the combat. It's the gameplay. It's that juggling, the beautiful juggling, the combination, because if you use the same move over and over again, you will get killed on your performance meter. You will get dull. They will actually, the game will tell you your play style is dull, which I love that. But if you're doing cool things, it says great and it gives amazing and terrific and it does really cool style words and style points. So you're rewarded for having a smooth, exciting acrobatic moves and combat abilities and using a good mix in your combat style. So you're right. This game was really something new, something fresh in 2001. Yeah, definitely. And yes, Prince of Persia is definitely in the conversation when you're talking about game like Devil May Cry, but Devil May Cry kind of does it all better across the board. And it's really, oh man, PlayStation 2 really had a home run holiday season that year. It's really crazy when you look at it, like Metal Gear Solid 2 would come out a few months later. Final Fantasy X would come out a few months later. Grand Theft Auto 3 would come out, yeah. would come out a month later. And it was really nice to have like, you had your like tactical style military game, right? With uh, Metal Gear Solid. It's still an action game, but it's very different to Devil May Cry. You have your open sandbox game, you have an RPG, and you have this, uh, this kind of like relevatory action combat game. Castlevania had yet to really honestly make a good stab into 3D at this point because Castlevania 64 had come out two years earlier and that game is historically awful and people actually really don't like it. Uh, and so this was the closest thing that you would have gotten at the time to a 3D Castlevania. Now, Lament of Innocence would come out in 2003 and borrow heavily from Devil May Cry. A lot of games would borrow heavily from Devil May Cry. I believe Ninja Gaiden comes out in 2005. Yeah. Four, you, four? 2005 on the Xbox, Ninja Gaiden Black. Oh, I'm talking about regular Ninja Gaiden on okay. the Xbox. Okay. I think Ninja Gaiden it on the original Xbox might have been 2000. That's Black. Hold on, hold on. Let me look this up. 2004, yeah. So Ninja Gaiden comes Correct. out March, March 2nd, 2004. And then the, the Black, uh, Ninja Gaiden Black would come out a year later, add all the bunch of extra bonus stuff. So Ninja Gaiden comes out three years later, developed by another Japanese developer for the Xbox. And that became like the Xbox character action game. God of War, heavily inspired by Devil May Cry. Oh, These yeah. orb collecting games where you would use the orbs to improve your stats and learn skills and buy stuff and do all that. This kind of gameplay is still around today because of how, how well it works. And the style meter is unique to Devil May Cry, right? The style meter is unique. All these games have platforming. All these games have combat. All these games have action. They all have that. But 
That's what's funny, Mike, is if you actually explain a game or describe it and you say, you're collecting orbs, you're juggling enemies in a combination of different third-person action abilities and attacks, that can name like four different games that came after Devil May Cry. And you're right, God of War is definitely one of them. Across Bayonetta, which you said earlier, these games were all fully, fully the DNA of Devil May Cry in them. And Ninja Gaiden tremendously. I mean, that feels like that is the Xbox version of Devil May Cry. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. It's one of those things where it's funny how quickly in these this day and age, in that day and age, they could crank out a game, even games to this scale. Because if Devil May Cry was kind of created off of a glitch from Onimusha, Onimusha releases in January of 2001. This game releases eight months later, seven months later. So how long in the development process was Onimusha when this whole Devil May Cry thing started? And they're releasing these games every year or so. Yeah. The Prince of Persia games we talked about last week, Devil May Cry games. Did the second and third game come out, I think, what, 2003 and 2004? Yeah, when it comes to Devil May Cry, I believe they came out very, very, very quickly just because they would kind of use the same engines. Devil May Cry comes out in 2001. 2003. Devil, Devil May Devil Cry. Devil May Cry 2. Yeah, Devil May Cry 2 is 2003. And I believe that Devil May Cry 3, Dante's Awakening, is 2005. That is correct. So again, and you're still, it's impressive how quickly they release them. Within four years, they were coming out. And I think Dante's Awakening, and I might be wrong about this, but I think it was released originally like as a greatest hits like out the gate like it was a $20 game maybe out the gate or it might have been like a $30 game out the gate i remember dante's awakening being inexpensive when it released because i was working at gamestop at the time and i bought it like right away i might be wrong about that don't quote me on that i might just be misremembering things but Do- devil may cry 3 dante's awakening is probably the best of the devil may cry games it's definitely the best of the ps2 era games it's a game that really gets it to the the pinnacle of what that game was supposed to be. I feel like the game knew at that point what the series wanted to be, and it took it up to 11, and mm-hmm. it was polished, and it did things better, and it was just more, I think, streamlined and what, what the game wanted to be. I don't know about you, but Devil May Cry 2 was a very painful experience for myself. Devil May Cry 2 is bad. Like, it's flat out a bad game, and kind of like... It, it fell into the bad sequel trope that we'd seen. And Devil May Cry 2 was definitely a step back from Devil May Cry. But Devil May Cry 3 was such a jump forward yeah. from the original Devil May Cry and Devil May Cry 2 that it was like, it was worth it. It was worth it to, to kind of have that step back so that we could leap forward. And Devil May Cry 4 is pretty good, but Devil May, Devil May Cry 5 is good, is very good, even though that team has kind of left Capcom. But the folks who make Devil May Cry now and who made Devil May Cry 3 have moved on to Square Enix, where they are making, at least helping to work out the combat for Final Fantasy 16. So we're seeing that this this style is not going away. It works. Even when they modernize it, it works very, very, very well to the point where like Bayonetta has become kind of a very it's it's got a cult following but it's like a very large cult following and it's become a game and a series that has its has its great fan base and oddly enough Bayonetta has become like a Nintendo franchise which is weird 
but I'm fine with it. Whatever. I'd rather, I'm happy that Nintendo's getting, is filling the gaps that they need to fill with these really good third-party relationships because it's kind of what Nintendo was lacking for so long. And well, even, well, even Devil gaps. May Cry, the original trilogy had got an excellent, excellent port on the Switch. And this game, even the original, can be played everywhere. I mean, this ports remasters of this game on Xbox, PS5. You can play this game everywhere. But something that I go back to, Mike, is something we haven't really talked about is the difficulty of this game. I found this game back in the day, and even to this day, a pretty challenging game. Is that something you experienced as well? Hmm. I don't know. I'm not, I don't know. I don't remember. Hmm. That's something that... For me, it wasn't quite Cuphead. It wasn't quite Souls game. But for me, it always felt challenging in, I don't know if it's the, the enemy difficulty through the, the puzzle solving, but I always found this game to be more difficult than it needed to be, or if that was part of the gameplay style, or maybe that's just my personal taking on it. I think this is the, th- I think this is the thing in my unique personal experience with this game. I played this game after I played Metal Gear Solid 2. Now, I'm not saying that Metal Gear Solid 2 is harder or that Metal Gear Solid 2 is the same type of game, but Metal Gear Solid 2, after playing through like a stealth action game like Metal Gear Solid 2, where you have to control so many different things at the same time, I think Devil May Cry felt like a vacation. Like it felt like I had to had to monitor and and keep track of 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 fewer things. And I could just kind of smash my way through it. I also really like action games. I really like action games like this. So I don't know if if it's like the Twitch Mega Man style gameplay that I've just been used to for so long, or the fact that it just was the timing, the timing of it all. It was fresh and new, and I was just so into it. And I'm good at platforming. And I think all the things just kind of added up. I'm not going to say it was easy, but I definitely heard from many, many people that they considered it very difficult. Like it was definitely a game that was more challenging. I think Ninja Gaiden is the harder, oh, hardest, yeah. hardest of these games. And I that think God of is, War is the easiest. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that statement. God of War is sort of there for you to sort of just beat your way through it and experience the story and feel kind of OP as you get, as you get going yeah, through the game. Yeah, that's kind of what you're supposed to be doing in that game. This game, I, I definitely agree, would be somewhere in the middle. And then Ninja, Ninja Gaiden... Uh, on the Xbox is a brutally difficult game. I mean, that game is almost unbeatable unless you want to keep trying certain sequences and areas over and over and over again. Uh, it's yeah. punishing. Yeah, no, it totally is. I remember some of those boss fights were just awful, but I had the windmill shuriken, so I was doing all right. <laughs> so Mike, Devil May Cry on the PlayStation 2 back in 2001 is now considered one of the great games of all time. Definitely. Super, super influential from what it did with in-game cutscenes, what it did with story and environment. Yeah. I think first first is definitely to be said is the gameplay style, the action, the juggling of enemies, the switching between slashing with the sword, using the guns. It definitely was a unique gameplay experience. Is that what sticks out to you now looking back 21 years? Is that the focus? Yeah, the focus is combos, right? The focus is being able to combine melee combat with ranged combat and just really go through it that way. Nothing else did this. Nothing else did this. Castlevania kind of does where you have your sub weapons, but like Dante's got pistols and a sword. It's really wild. Like he brings a gun to a knife fight and a knife to a knife fight. And it's, it's really unique 
it is very much the too cool for school mentality. It's like, oh yeah, give him a giant sword. Oh, and he's got guns. And his guns, what do his guns say in the side of it? Like, aren't they, don't they have like funky names? Oh, yes, they do. But I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure his guns. But it was definitely designed to look and feel super cool for the time. Well, you got to think, right? In, in, oh, his guns are ebony and ivory. That's it. That's it. Is ebony and ivory. And they're pretty much like desert eagles. Yep. And, and this was at a time where, it seemed like this style of game was very, very much reminiscent of kind of what was going on in anime at the time, right? You got to think like Trigun is like, yep, I was definitely thinking two or that. three years earlier than this. I think Cowboy Bebop is like Trigun's like a ninety-eight to ninety-nine anime. And Cowboy Bebop is a 97 or like 98. Yeah, Cowboy Bebop's a 98 anime. It really fits in with that or something that came after that. Like to the fact that like Trigun is so such a, a story about these Western gunslinger types and Vash the Stampede has the big red jacket. Well, Mike, it's also very different, but in 1997, we got a movie called Face Off where Nicolas yeah. Cage has these dual guns yeah. and he's jumping around in slow motion, shooting two guns and stuff like this before anime, before movies of this time, people weren't shooting two guns at a time. Usually you took one, you took two hands and you were just aiming. But this, you're right. These anime and these over-the-top movies at this time kind of inspired this over-the-top combat. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think there are a lot of things, right? We, we can always go back to the Matrix. Yep. The Matrix. It's one of those things where we, the Matrix kind of made everything cool and kind of made this kind of vibe cool with the guns and the trench coats and the trench coats and, uh, and, and kind of like this, this slick leather kind of vibe. Now the Matrix is post Trigun, right? So the Wachowskis definitely watched their fair share of anime to the point where they made Speed Racer the movie, but it's uh, it's one of those things where you know, yeah, what came first, the chicken or the egg? It's kind of like yeah. some of this stuff, how much inspiration was there? And you're you're right. It's that crazy over the top 2001 feeling and like you said the the, the style of the hair color of the trench coat, the colors of the world. It's very much that that look and feel. And this game is memorable because of that. And anyone who's played a Devil May Cry game knows what they're getting themselves into. And that all started here. The gameplay hasn't changed that much from where it started here, Mike. I mean, even with the newer games with three, four, five, they haven't evolved much beyond what the core gameplay is because it works. No, it works really well. And you can easily improve upon it. You can easily make it more modern by updating the graphics, updating the physics, updating the gameplay stuff that you can do, expanding how you can upgrade your character. Devil May Cry 3 was really cool because it allowed you to like change styles and pick styles up. You could be like mixed or you could be swordsman only or you could be or you could be like gunslinger. So there's a lot of very cool stuff that this series kind of started. And I feel like few games have gotten close to the quality of Devil May Cry. Obviously, Ninja Gaiden and God of War were excellent. Bayonetta 1, two, one and 2 and hopefully 3 are really, really good, really good games. Nier, Nier, Nier Automata is excellent. So 
the, that's where these games went. Devil May Cry is still around, but its influences span way beyond its reach. It's it's really crazy how how far Devil May Cry has come as a game that like sold three million copies. Right? It's not like it's not like it's not nothing to to like turn your nose up to, but still, it's like you sold three million copies, but you've influenced a genre for twenty plus years. Yeah, and yeah. I think a lot of people expected Resident Evil to go this way after Devil May Cry came out because it felt so fresh and new and still kind of does. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. So that is it. That is Devil May Cry, the PlayStation 2 title from Capcom. Still very accessible, very playable today. I say this is a game that aged, I'd say better than last week's game, Prince of Persia, though graphically, it's not a beautiful game today because some of the textures, some of the details not there, but it's smooth, it's fluid, yeah, and I think you still get the essence. Would you agree this game is still very much playable today? I think it's incredibly playable. It's way more playable than a lot of other stuff that had come out at the same time or slightly earlier or even slightly later. I think Devil May Cry, honestly, I think all those games from 2001, Grand Theft Auto 3 is less playable now, but I think Metal Gear Solid 2 is still incredibly playable. Devil May Cry is still incredibly playable. Final Fantasy X is still incredibly playable. I think these games are still very very much accessible, playable, amazing games. And Devil May Cry kind of represents a pillar of action games that like we've been chasing that same dragon man for 20, 20 years. It's, it's wild. It's wild how, how influential this game is. And we don't nearly talk about it. We don't talk about it nearly enough. I feel like when we're talking about influential games, the same games come up over and over and over again. And Devil May Cry really needs to be in that, in that conversation. Yeah, totally. So that will be in the books, the next entry into our hall of fame for you, those counting at home. This was episode 85. Wow. And I think we're some 90 plus games in. Cause as we've said in the beginning, we were doing two per episode. So quite a large amount, but there's still room for more. So we got more coming at you, but in the meantime, Mike, we are only recording this shortly after we recorded our last episode, but could you tell us what have you been playing? Yeah, it's still live alive. I mean, we uh, we had to cram a couple episodes together because of our schedules, but I'm still playing live alive a lot. It's really good. It's really good. I'm on the prehistory, the caveman section, and it's really fun because there's no spoken words in that section. Everything is because there's no language. So everything is displayed to you via like emotions and smells and all that stuff. So it's, it's fun. And you're like on a caveman adventure fighting like mammoths and, and stuff like that. It's been, it's, it's, it's really cool. It's now really, is, really cool. Is this game all fresh to you or did you know much about it prior to playing it? I had played a little bit on a translated ROM over the years because it's one of those games like it never came to the States. So I played Terranigma because of that. And I was going to play Seiken Densetsu 3, but ultimately that got the Trials of Mana remake, which I played that version. And then, uh, yeah, I played a little bit of Live Alive. Cool. But definitely diving more into Live Alive now that it's on the Switch and it's been Really great. These HD 2D remakes and uh, these games from Team Asano have been amazing. And uh, with the reports that Square might be on the selling block and Sony might buy them, I, I fear 
that we're going to lose these types of games. So I'm going to buy every single one that comes out until they announce that sale. And then Sony takes Square Enix and forces them to make Final Fantasy 14 because they're just collecting games as service at this point because they have no original ideas. And they're they're kind of forced still like that's that's a place acquisitions like that are where creativity from companies like Square Enix go to die. And I love Final Fantasy. I want to see Final Fantasy continue to do well and do original and fun things. But I think if it's purchased by a giant mega conglomerate like Sony at this point or Microsoft, it's not good in either hands. Square should operate on its own. I feel like we're going to lose a lot of that ingenuity. I think games like Octopath Traveler. Yep. I think games like Bravely Default 2. Yep. I think games like Triangle Strategy. And I think games like Live Alive. I don't think any of the four of those see the light of day if they're bought by a company like Sony, because they say, what is this going to sell? Two, maybe two and a half million copies. That's not enough. Yeah. And that's that's a sad because they're great games who there are plenty of, I mean, two to three million copies is a lot. It's a lot of people that are going to be upset. If our only options for RPGs moving forward, well, from Square, because there will be other companies that come up and make those types of games. That will happen, whether they're indie, whether they're not. If Square is kind of tied up in just making Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy 14, and what, maybe Dragon Quest? We're at a point where it's kind of like, what happened? And Dragon Quest will be forced to change too, because that game does really well, but ultimately they're going to want to modernize everything. And it's really sad. It'll be a sad day when that happens. We'll probably lose out on these HD 2D remakes, but I would hope in the event that like that, a team like Team Asano, who made all the games you just mentioned, would spin out on their own and do something. Because I don't think they have any interest in make in just being a uh, kind of a gear in the wheel that's just a part of whatever the next massively bloated Final Fantasy game is. So we'll see. We'll see. That's all rumor right now. We're reporting on rumor, but I'm seeing it in more and more places, and it it terrifies me. It also means that Mario RPG will be gone forever, which is my favorite game, and I would love to see that revisited at some point. But if Sony buys Square. Goodbye. Not going to happen. What can you do? We are in the age of acquisition. So it's a shame, but I will continue to buy these games as they come out. Awesome stuff. That is very good, Mike. So we look forward to hearing if you continue to play Live Alive because I heard it's not the longest game. So continue to let us know. Yeah, it's about 25 hours long, I think, if you do everything. So I'm actually really kind of that's kind of refreshing (laughs) that the game is not that long. So we'll see where we go from here. Very cool. So just like last week, I have completed Mega Man Wily Wars. Oh, yeah. This was such a breath of fresh air. It was really like, and I said it last week, taking a Super Mario All-Stars version of yeah. the first three Mega Man games. And it's funny because my nostalgia, I kept thinking of these game, the detail, the graphics, the motion, the size of the enemies and the characters all felt slightly different from what I remembered. Because I play these games almost every year, Mega Man 2 and 3. They're yeah, almost yeah. Like yearly plays. And now I don't know if I can go back to the original NES versions of them. Because this is really one of those great, great remasters that I feel like it was done with such love and care. Isn't it a shame that it like, never fully got released either? Like We're both talking about games that weren't released. I mean, I guess you could get it through Sega Channel. But like, I mean, that kind of, to me, that doesn't really count. So it's 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 amazing that there is a market in 2022 specifically for games that were never released that have giant fan bases that just want to pay you for them. But it's weird you know? that the Genesis got such different versions of games that Nintendo got. I know like Turtles in Time, they got that other 
Hyperstone for, Heist, yeah. And then Aladdin got a complete inversion by a different developer. So it's so strange when stuff like this happens, Mike. I, I like that. I like that. I don't like that today, outside of console exclusives, which the Xbox doesn't really have any, and the PlayStation has their their stable of, of exclusive. I guess I guess technically now Xbox does have quite a bit because they've bought like 17 companies in the last year. But it used to be that outside of exclusive, like your your console would have their exclusives. Like pretty much everything was exclusive and each console had a vibe, right? So the Aladdin on Genesis felt like a Genesis game. The Aladdin on Super Nintendo felt like a Super Nintendo game. And when they stopped doing that, there were there was something you lost. It lost. There was a lot. I think you lost something. I think part of it, Mike, is that they had such different controllers. Yeah, and they felt like they were designed for those consoles in yep. mind. I get that. I think While that's one true. The PS and the Xbox, the controllers more or less are the same. You can yeah. say you use X B Y or Square Circle X, whatever. At the end of the day, the controllers have more or less become the same. Even the Switch Pro controller, they're more or less the same. Yeah. So pretty, pretty, pretty much. I think you're right. When they were designed in mind, they were designed with the controllers and the whole system and the the what the music and the sound can do and everything was so different. Yeah, Genesis sound is great when it's done well. That FM synth sounds amazing when someone knows how to work with it. That's like a like a, a Yuzo Koshiro or whatever from 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 Streets of Rage. Like that guy is like he's dynamite. And when he's working on a game, like the FM synth sounds amazing. When FM synth sounds bad, it sounds like farts. Well, SNES, I, can, yeah. I can tell you during Mega Man Wily Wars, I had the Genesis music blasting. Oh, it's great. It's I great. had it up real high. And I don't care if I was playing Gemini Man and Mega Man 3 or or uh, Hard Man. We've talked uh, about on this five uh, many times. Why, why would they do that? <laughs> but the music is stellar across the board. It's so, one of the few times. It's one of the times where the FM synth was used beautifully. Yeah. And and SNES music across the board is is pretty good. but. Genesis music at its best is way is 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 better, but Genesis music at its worst is is way worse. So it's kind of <laughs> like this weird like trade off. While we're talking about Super Nintendo versus Genesis for a minute, I'd love to just say this too. It's like back in the day, there were Contra Contra Three on the Super Nintendo was very different than Contra Hardcore. It was Castlevania Four and Dracula X on the Super Nintendo was very different from Castlevania Bloodlines. So that was cool, man. That was cool. You had unique and different experiences. But yeah, Matt, I'm not going to keep going. I'll go on forever. No, it's all good. I love it. So that's Mega Man Wily Wars, which was really special. And I will openly admit on this pod, I did use the save slates a few times. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't going back to the beginning of the level too many times. We, so, we unfortunately don't have time for this anymore. Quality so. of life improvements, but I did not use cheats beyond that, but that was, that was a lot of fun to replay. And then I'm still getting further into Earthbound. I'm yes. probably level 17 or 18, and I'm still exploring this weird, crazy world where I'm fighting trees and mushrooms and robots and UFOs, and I love it. And I'm learning all the nuances of the gameplay, but this is one weird freaking game, Mike. <laughs> it's really strange. One of my favorite things, though, about Earthbound, and I'm going to say this, is that there's a lot of things that I love about it. The strangeness being one of them. Like like I said in last podcast, it's like, this is a great late at night, not lights out kind of game because it's got like this weird, 
if I had surround sound, oh my God, because you feel like you're in the middle of like, like a lot of the sounds in this game are like, it almost has a Metroid type music to it where you're like walking on some strange planet. So yeah, Chip Tanaka did do the music for Metroid and Mother and Super Mario Land. And, and Mother 2 and all that. So that makes perfect sense, right? That, that it's got that, it. that weird Metroid feel and that weird spacey feel. I'm going to tell you a few things. I'm going to warn you about a few things right now. Oh, I also didn't say my favorite thing about Earth. One of my other things I like about Earthbound. But just be wary. There's one point. There's a character you get that you need to get a weapon for. And it's called, it's called the Sword of Kings. And it is a random drop from an enemy. And Ness gets an, a weapon called the Casey's Bat, I think which is like horrible accuracy, but his attack is off the charts. And in Earthbound, if, you're, if, you're, if your base attack for, I believe, Ness, it might just be for Ness, but it might be for the whole party. If your base attack is so high, you will run into an enemy and skip the battle. They would automatically beat, you will automatically win the battle and you will get the, the, the money, the, the dollars and the experience and any items they drop. There's a point in the game where you have to get this item called the Sword of Kings, and you pretty much have to switch the, between the Casey's Bat to one-hit shot all these Starmen enemies that you fight, and it's like one in 200 chance that you're going to get the item. So it takes a while. But it's worth it, because it makes one character very good as opposed to not as good. But one of my favorite things about Earthbound is that you could take mortal damage, but the way your health rolls down is on a roller. So you can actually save your character before they die if you can heal them quick enough to get their HP back up and stop the roll down. So if you take a ton of damage in like one hit, you're seeing those numbers roll down quickly. You're like, oh no, oh no. If you throw them a heal item, they won't die. Like if Ness has like 50 health and you take 60 damage, you can save Ness before he hits one or zero and, and, and gets knocked out. You can heal him up and then it'll send it in the opposite direction. Yeah, that's a very unique gameplay mechanic. That and like you said, if you're high enough level, it'll auto-complete the battle for you. You just get the XP of the battle. So that's some really cool stuff. But the two things you said that infuriate me about RPGs, one, I hate when your accuracy matters in an RPG and you just swing and miss and you miss attacks and you miss attacks because it's frustrating. You're playing a video game. We want to do damage. And it feels like Dungeons and Dragons then. It feels like I just rolled a a bad die. Yeah. And then two, missable items. Nothing stresses me out more playing an RPG than knowing I could potentially miss something that is a huge part of the game, a huge item or a huge accessory or something. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's why I told you about it on this show. (laughs) All right. Because I (laughs) want to make sure. about it now, folks. Yeah, I want to make sure that you get that Sword of Kings. Google it. You'll find it. No, that's great. So, Mike, that's what I'm playing. I continue to push through. Please let us all know, where can people out there find you? Yeah, you can find me here every episode on the Hall of Fame podcast, Hall of Fame video game podcast with Matt, who does excellent work and uh, puts together just a great show. It's just a joy. It's a joy to do this every week. You can also find me with my band that is Bad Mary. You can find us on the internet by searching up Bad Mary or at Bad Mary Band on all of the socials. And then last, but certainly not least, the weekend of August 12th, so that's August 12th, 13th, and 14th, I will be working the Long Island Retro Gaming Expo at the Cradle of Aviation Museum in Garden City, New York. You should go to that. They just put up the schedule. It's going to be really cool. Get your tickets now. It's a really good time. And uh, you can come early. You can stay late. There's music. There's everything. This, the, the convention's got it all. So uh, definitely come out and, and hang out for that. Awesome. Very cool stuff. So 
As Mike said, join us each week on the Hall of Fame video game podcast, the number one rated podcast in the world. It's true. So please do check out our back catalog, leave a review, and guys, play the video games. Here we are. We're in August. We're getting close to what usually is like prime video game season. So play those games, guys. And it's been kind of slow. So there's a lot that you can... I don't believe in a backlog anymore. I don't do it. I just play what I want because I, I don't want to put that pressure on myself. But if there's games that you've been looking to play for a while, now's the time to jump in. Yeah. I feel like anyone who says there's no games to play... Oh, fools. It's the like fools. the same thing. Like, oh, there's nothing to watch on TV. You have not watched everything. You have not played everything. There's a I'm, ton of... Me and Mike have been playing video games for how many years now? And there are still games that we wish we had more time in the day I, to play. I've been playing video games at this point for close to 34 years. And there are, I, I got started very young. There are, I got an NES on my second birthday. And there are games from the 80s that I still wish I would go back and play. And you know what? A lot of them are accessible now. So there are tons of games to play and forget about TV. Jeez, there's literally <laughs> 30 shows right now that you can watch in their 200 entirety. episodes each. For ev- yeah, exactly. You know, for I, every interest. I give this podcast a lot of credit because it gets Mike to play games like Portal and it's getting me to play games like Earthbound and other ones that I know are necessary to our conversation. So this, this podcast is playing an important part. It is. And you know what? It made me go back and play Wind Waker. It's made me play a lot of games and go back and play stuff. And it's cool how we can we can influence each other like that. Earthbound is a is great. I'm so happy you got into it because man, did I was that a blind spot for me for far too long. And gamers that like RPGs, you kind of need it in your in I your just inventory. hate not being in the conversation. And now I feel like I can have it. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? It's you know what? I, I understand why people put it up there with games like Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy Six. I really do. Cool. So that's us. Come back. Join us next week. We appreciate your time. We appreciate your ears. And we hope you guys have a good week. Yeah, man. Have a good one. Bye. From Mike and Matt, thank you for listening to the Hall of Fame Game Podcast. Check us out on Instagram at Hall of Fame Pod or email us at thehalloffamepod at gmail.com. Please leave us a review and be sure to tune in next time.